The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. So my name is Tony Blanchard. Um, I worship at uh, Sandy Ridge in Hickory, North Carolina. See, how to say this, I'm probably the oldest living guy in a group of about 50 men that started 15 years ago to meet together. Uh, I've got to tell you, the first four or five years, we've had to go back and apologize to each one of those men individually how poorly we did and how, th- how different things had changed. This year, God willing, we're on the 25th retreat. We call it a gathering. Uh, it's, it's, it's no more formal than it's almost the guys are paper trained. December, everybody starts gathering up and, and contacting one another if you don't have a regular acquaintance with one another. And things just start happening. Um, the gathering is a two-day intensive, starts Friday afternoon, goes from 4 o'clock. We generally end worship Saturday evening, sometime around 10 or 11 o'clock, if we can stop the guys from singing. Uh, our worship team is, a, is we started out with an Apple phone. We've, we've promoted ourselves into, actually we have a guitar. Uh, there's two guys that can sing. One of them is, is required. He has to come whether he wants to or not because he's got to be able to start us off in the song and he can read music. So the title of, of our time together this morning is Growing a Culture of Discipleship Through Accountability. The nice thing about that title is we can exchange that back and forth. It can be, we can take discipleship, we can take accountability, um, and we can take growing and keep moving it around. It, it all ends up in the same place. And I hope you're going to agree with me when we come to that. That's what it'll do. So that's, that's kind of the background on me. Um, there's, there's 50 guys. We're probably four generations deep of, of men who have discipled men who have discipled men. Uh, what scares me when people start tagging that with a term like a ministry or a program, it, it, it wasn't. And I guess the fear is if we start calling it a ministry, it'll start having a life of its own and not the one that it's got right now. Uh, this morning, I was, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Europe a couple of weeks ago. And going over was a little bit of a challenge, but it wasn't anything like coming back. And uh, we were, uh, we're still on, on Europe time. So this morning at 3 o'clock, I woke up ready to go. And it's amazing what you can accomplish between 3 o'clock and 9 that the rest of the world doesn't. The problem is you can't get them on the phone, right? They don't answer their phone. If I was an unredeemed person, I would say I believe in coincidences. I'm redeemed and I don't. Um, years ago, almost, years ago, years ago, I ran into a book. It's called The Valley of Vision. I mean, it, and it really has taught me how to pray in a way that I never thought I could. Um, the prayer that um, just wrecks me is one called the deeps. But I went to, uh, I actually opened up the red ribbon this morning and started praying, praying it. And, uh, and I'm going to pray that for us today. And I'm going to pray that for me selfishly today. So as my wife tells me, the time to ask God whether these are the Philistines that you want to attack is before you attack them and not after. So pray with me, please. <sighs> A minister's strength. When I am discouraged in my ministry and full of doubts of myself, fasten me upon the rock of thy election, and my hands will not hang down, and I shall have hope for myself and others. Thou doubts, dost know thy people by name, and wilt at appointed time season lead them out of a natural to a gracious state. 
by thy effectual calling. This is the ground of my salvation, the object of my desire, the motive of my ministry. Keep me from high thoughts of myself or my work. Amen. And for I am not nothing but a sinless sin and weakness. And in me no good thing dwells, and my best works but are sin. Humble me to the death to the dusk before thee. Root and tear me out of poisonous weed of, of self-righteousness. And show me my utter nothingness. Keep me sensible of my sinnership. Keep me deeper in penance and self-aberration. Break the dagon of pride in pieces before the ark of thy presence. Demolish the babel of self-opinion and scatter it to the wind. Leave to the ground my Jericho walls and rebel my and, and, a, and a rebel of my heart. Then grace, grace will be my experience, and I am poor, feeble creature. When faithful is not in exercise, like an eagle with pinion wing, pinion wings. Grant me to rest on thy power and faithfulness and know that there are two things worth living for. And for my heart's desire for us time for our time this morning is to further thy cause in the world and to do good to do good to the souls and bodies of men. This is my ministry, my life, my prayer, my end. Grant me the grace that I shall not fail. Amen. Amen. Um, I got about halfway through that twice. And um, I can tell you that all the things that they, they tell you about growing old is true. One of the things they don't tell you, that as a growing, old, growing older as a man, you cry at crazy things. I mean, I'm known to cry at shopping centers, openings. Uh, I'm in the back of my hotel room. My wife's in bed, and I'm boohooing in the corner because I can't get through the prayer because it just nails me at my heart. It's so easy to think any of this has anything to do with us. Come on in. There's plenty of room. Excellent. Well, come on and sit down. Excellent. <laughs> so, maybe a couple of uh, housekeeping things. John Piper is a guy that I love to listen to, and it seems like the older he gets, the more passionate he becomes. I love it when, when Piper gets up and he, and he announces that he doesn't give a rip what John Piper thinks, that his, his, he only cares about what the Bible says. And I'd like to start that. I don't give a rip what I think about this because everything that I've ever thought about it has been wrong. But I do, I do care about what the Bible says, and that's what we're going to be spending our time in. Um, you're going to, we're going to go through uh, three sections. Uh, let me give you a little navigation. The first one is going to be claims. You've got a sheet on there that I've, that I've given you. One of it's got uh, three basic claims. It's going to be our first stop. I'm going to go up three lanes. I'm going to, first off, I'm going to start with claims. I think it's, it's appropriate that we at least stake some territory on where we're going. We're going to talk about dictionaries. I had a, I had a great experience. We, um, we actually spent a couple of nights in a place called Lake Como in Italy, I think it is. And, and we thought we had all the equipment we needed to be able to use 110 stuff, and we didn't, right? So we go over to the, uh, the big department store over in Lake Como. It's called Bennett's. Now, I'm the only guy that speaks English in the store. I've got, you know, and I think that English is the universal language, right? If so, if I can't speak French, I just talk louder with an accent. We're not, we're not, we're not going anywhere with this crowd, right? And I'm, so finally, this woman walks up. She goes, Italian? U.S.? Transformer. I go, yes! And walked us over, and we got the transformer. So I think dictionary is critical. Uh, I've heard a guy say that words change worlds. 
worlds change wor- worlds. And we're going to talk about culture, and that's the world that you live in, and that's the world I live in. And we're not going to be talking about the culture out there. We're going to talk about the culture in here. We're going to talk about the culture in your church and my church, right, and how to, and how to navigate through that. And the last is application. My wife, who's not here, she's downstairs working at the embrace table, uh, had to sit through multiple times of this conversation. She said, when are you going to get, come on up here, we got plenty of seats. When are you going to get to the application? I said, as soon as possible. She said, that's not fast enough. So if I, if I keep kind of wandering around, somebody will get to the application. So probably the first claim I want to make, and it's a, it's a very simple one, and I hope it's like everyone, everyone knows this, is, is this whole conversation is based on the divine inspiration of Scripture. Uh, we're not going to go outside the Bible. We're not going to look for any additional source. We're going to stay, stay and ask ourselves, what does God to say about it? My, my, my goal today is to underwhelm you with the topic. My goal today is for you to walk out of here and go, man, I've heard that a bunch of times. You know, and if it's not, then uh, you know, I'm glad that this is the first time you've heard what I'm talking to you about, but I hope it's not. And I hope it's one of those things, if you're like me, I'm a Deuteronomy 6 guy. I live in the world of trying to remember in the morning who I am, who do I belong to, and, and, and like uh, Francis Schaeffer would say, in light of those facts, how do I live my life? So we're going to go three ways. We're going to go claims, we're going to go dictionary, we're going to define words that we're going to be talking about, and then we're going to talk about exhortation. You've got the claims in front of you. Let me go down the line with you if I could. Uh, all disciples of Jesus Christ are called to make disciples. I think the operative word there is all. I can't find anything that accepts anybody out of there. I don't think making a disciple is a spiritual gift. It appears to me that it seems to be a command from Jesus Christ. Would everybody agree? Okay, good. Two, the Word brings salvation. Okay? Scripture brings salvation. Paul reminds us of that, doesn't he? He said... I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of what? Yeah, to salvation. Uh, three, the word transforms the believer. Romans 12, 2. Renewing of your mind, right? The fourth one is sort of a combination of pulling it all together. Accountability to the word produces disciples and consequently discipleship and disciple makers. I want to tell you that I don't think discipleship is a reservoir. I think it's a river. The only reservoir I know in the Bible is called the Dead Sea. Right? So in, in this, in, when we start defining discipleship in my world, I need to tell you a couple of things. One is this is a way to disciple. It is not the way to disciple. One of the greatest ways to disciple, and many of you are pastors and leaders in your church, is to stand in front of a crowd like this and cast the word expositionally over them. And just let it work. And I'm taking nothing away from that. I'm also, tell, I'm also claiming that Jesus Christ preached to the multitudes. He lived with the few. And he poured himself into three men. I mean, he owned them. He owned them. I mean, when Peter comes out of the boat at the beach, I know why he's coming out of the boat. And I know what's waiting for him on the beach. And that's a story to all of us, right? Yes. When the woman comes in, in the crowd of people, she's not worried about one who's looking at her. And she falls at Christ's feet and washes his feet and dries it with her hair. 
with tears. With tears. So, uh, let's, let's get started. Let's get started with a dictionary. Um, there's a book called, uh, what is it called? It's called Design to Lead by two, by two men, Geiger and Peck. If you haven't read it, it's got a white cover with a gray triangle. Um, I, I ran into the book a couple of years ago, read it, put it down, read it, put it down. It's got a great understanding of what your culture and my culture is all about. Uh, they, have a, they have a formula, and it starts off with convictions, culture, and constructs. Construct is their word for ministry. Construct is their word for program, right? So you've got convictions, you've got culture, and you've got constructs. My experience has been we started at the wrong end of the telescope. We start over here with a program thinking that it's going to affect our people's culture and never think about their convictions. Culture always produces constructs. There is a manifestation of what is, what is important. But what, what affects, what, convec- what confects conviction, confect, that's right, yeah. Uh, effects conviction, that's a new word, confects, that's, um, is, is strongly held beliefs. You've got to have, you've got to recognize what your people's strongly held beliefs are until you can, to, to, to affect the culture. If you don't affect the culture, you're going to come to one of these, your guys are going to get all gassed up, they're going to come back to church, a lot of enthusiasm, and within 90 days, you'll be no evidence of what you did. Right. I mean, it's gone. I, I can't tell you how many pastors I've had the opportunity to talk to that come to something like this, get all excited about it, run back home. Um, I mean, the power of the pulpit's huge. I mean, when the pastor gets up and says, boys, we need to go this way, everybody gets in line, right? But the minute he takes the gas off the pedal, everything goes away. You've got to be able to affect your congregation at, 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 a, at, a, at a conviction level. If you don't, it's a waste of time. <laughs> All cultures and subsequent constructs are affected at the conviction level. Um, there's a guy named Steve Brown. He's an old PCA pastor out of Asheville. If you ever have an opportunity, he comes to the, uh, he comes to the, the, the Billy Graham uh, place over there once a year. And he was talking about being at a... Uh, he was talking about being at a, uh, at a conference where he was talking and he had a young lady happen to be, um, would do worship in between sessions. And she's had a, a voice of an angel. But she did something really weird. She didn't move from the neck down. But her hands did this, kind of crazy. And Brown's the kind of guy that doesn't have a problem with asking her. So he let it, he maybe, he waited a couple times to make sure it wasn't an anomaly and finally walked up to her at the break and he said, hey, what in the world is that all about? She said, well, you know, I was, I, was, I was born a Baptist preacher's daughter, and we weren't allowed to dance. She said, so it's got to come out someplace, right? Your people's convictions and their culture will come out someplace. And if you don't look for them to affect them, you'll never change them if that's what you're trying to do. If, if you don't have a culture of discipleship, you need to understand where, you, where your convictions of your people are and what they understand discipleship is. Accountability in a Christian context. Um, Ezekiel 
33.8. This is on the heels of a, of, a, of a claim that loving one another enough to tell one another the truth. I need to, I've got to love you enough to tell you the truth. I've got to love you enough to risk the relationship. I've got to love you enough to stand still for you when you become... Anybody here married? Yes, me too. Okay. Um, I'm, this is going to be from the context of a man. I know that women don't... My wife doesn't experience this. My wife loves me. My wife wants the best for me. My wife will say things that will absolutely put me on the roof. And I become defensive. Does anybody else do that? No, just me? Okay. I do that, right? And then what I do... Well, that's, that's the, that's the uh, four things, and are you lying to me on any of the four? Um, and and I, can't, I can't understand why I do that. I mean, one of the greatest prayers for me, and the older I get, the more I realize that I will go to my grave with this prayer, is for me to understand how much my wife loves me and people that I've got in my life love me enough to sit down with me and, and, and just say, hey, Steve, you, you, you know, you've, you've, just, you've got to stop that. I mean, it's not going to turn out well for you. Let me help you. I love you. Um, years ago, I went to a convention with a uh, youth pastor who is now a senior pastor. And, and he, was, he was having the same amount of difficulty with his sarcasm I was. And, and, and so we got along really well. We were the only two people in the stands that were no, understood what we were saying. But he looked at me and he said, do you know how you spell the word love? Does anybody know how to spell love? Anybody want to try it? It's a four-letter word. It's T-I-M-E. It's time, right? There's a book. Who has Leroy Imes' book, The Lost Art of Making Disciples? Excellent. That book is phenomenal. One of the things that Imes will tell you is speed is not your friend. I mean, there's no quick way to do this. Um, years ago, an old man looked at me and he said, you won't, you, won't, you won't keep discipling. I said, oh, yeah, I will. He said, no, you won't. I said, why? He said, well, you just won't do it. I said, well, tell me. He said, well, let me tell you. It's hard work. It's very slow, and, you'll, and your heart will get broken multiple times. I mean, people that you love will walk. People that you thought were engaged will just go dark. Um, Luke has a great um, example of that when, when Christ sends the uh, disciples out, right? And he sends them out to two, two different types of people. The one person does what? Shuts the door? And I love that. In the scripture it says, let him know that the kingdom of heaven has come near to him. And then he walks to the next door and the door's opened up and he's invited back in. That's, that's the life of a disciple maker. Knowing that all of this is God's work. Um, so, accountability. Ezekiel 33.8 When I say to the wicked, O man, you surely will die and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. Here it is. But his blood will be required from your hand. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 15, 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects of him who is at the head, even Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body being fitted together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of it in love. <clears throat> Giving passport to one another. 
you know, one of the most difficult things I think in my life as a man was to be able to be honest with other men um, and to be able to uh, be empathetic to another man, to be able to pursue another man, to be able to um, go to the cross um, in front of another man, knowing that that's what Jesus did for us. Um, getting transport passport from another man is a is a gift. Um, it's a tool. It's um, I mean, it's it's the greatest thing that'll ever happen to another man. It's him entrusting himself to you. The gospel. Um, every person you encounter has a gospel. Years ago, we were walking um, across uh, Times Square in New York. I'd never been up there. It's a dangerous intersection to try to cross if you're a tourist. And I'm about to get us killed. Um, and, I, and I look over, and this guy with a funny T-shirt turns around, and we get eye contact, right? So I'm in the tractor beam. He's, he's got me coming. And he turns around, and on his T-shirt it says, Jews for Jesus. I'm thinking, oh, no. And I'm late, right? So and I'm, I'm trying to think of what I can tell this guy that'll just to blow him off. Let him know that I'm saved. I know Jesus Christ. Go find somebody else. So I tell him, I take my best shot with this guy, and he's about this. He looks up at him, he says, he says, tell me about your Jesus. And I promise you, that has changed my life. I have been with men for years, asked them that question, and sat back and put the seatbelt on. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against that. I read that several times. I read that with another man and stopped right then and took a look at that. And I asked myself, what is this telling me? Well, it's telling me that God, through his son, reconciled. He did something that I couldn't do. He did something I couldn't do out of obedience to his father. And then the craziest thing happens. The what, Jesus, Jesus. Scripture, scripture says that Jesus was reconciling the world to himself. Okay? Um, and then it says, and then he turned around and committed the work of reconciliation to you and me. And I'm a highly repetitive learning person, right? I have to learn something four or five times before it starts even becoming a, a concept in my life. The next sentence says, namely, that God was reconciling the world through him, through Christ, and then turns around and commits the world to reconciliation. And in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, I've glorified you, Father. And he said, the way I've glorified you is I have accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Right? So when, when, when you talk to somebody that has become a believer 20 years ago and the story stops right then, maybe they didn't read that, right? Maybe they didn't understand that there were unusual and great things to go, keep on going. Maybe they didn't understand that the way we glorify God is to accomplish the work that he's given us to do. And the work that he's given us to do is the same work that Jesus was given, is to reconcile the world. The gospel is a tool that Jesus Christ used because that's his life. And we're given the opportunity to talk to that, talk to people about Jesus Christ, to talk to, Jesus, to talk to other people about the Jesus of the Bible. Okay? So that's the gospel.
Jeremiah's got a great praise on that. I think it's 29. All the good things in Jeremiah are in 29, I think. He says, you will find me when you seek me. When you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me, when you search for me with all your heart. And I, I and, 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 and God says the craziest thing. And I will be found by you. Right? Um, does anybody remember the five excuses Moses gave God not to sign up for ministry in his church? Does anybody remember that one? Remember when Moses is, was where? Moses is in Midian, right? All right. Moses? I know. No, I, I think... That's right. That's right. But he started off, he started off with a direct pushback, right? So here's, here's, here's Moses. You know, he's moved from New York City. He's in Midian. He's, he's in Newton, North Carolina, right? I mean, he, he knows goat, right? He's got a girlfriend. She's married. They've got kids. He spends the whole day out there by the well. Forty years. I mean, I think he's gotten acclimated, don't you? Right? I would. So God comes to him and says, hey, Moses. I mean, let's go. I mean, I know he didn't say saddle up, but I mean, it was come on. Let's go. We're going to go back to Egypt to get the people that you left. And do you remember what Moses said? Anybody remember? Who am I? Do you remember what God said? I mean, it's the most intimate, personal response that God could give any human being. He says, but Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. You know, when I read that prayer this morning, that wasn't any coincidence. That was right between the eyes. I will be with you. There is a God that is knowable and wants to be known. And his son gave us the map and the last words he gave us in, in, in the Great Commission. Right? Go make disciples. A friend of mine has got a wife. All my books are old friends because it takes me forever to read them. And the way and I, I increase the challenge because I'll read the same page a couple of times and not know it. You don't go, wow, that's great. I'm looking at it. There's the, there's the marker. <laughs> but anyway, his wife always reads the last chapter of the book to see if it's a book she wants to read. Right? Does anybody remember the promise in Scripture that Jesus gives us if we're obedient to making, command, to making disciples. Anybody remember that? Yes. Wow. Wow. Why would, you, why would you give that to somebody else? Why would you say, let me go find somebody else and give this to? I don't, Ashley, do you've got time? I don't have time for this. Right? I don't have time to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. I don't have an encounter to live in the presence of Jesus Christ. So therefore, I just decide I'm not going to make disciples. Guy told me a long time ago, he said, if you're too busy to make disciples, maybe you're too busy. Right? And I've had a lot of busy years in my life. So, so we're going to talk about three areas of application on time. Um, let me get this up here. So I'll, I'll lose my place here. And I want Walter to be able to hear this because this is really critical. There's three areas of application I'd like to give you. And these are not necessarily the only applications, but they're three applications that have been critical for me. The first one is time. Speed is not your friend. 
if you're in a hurry to do this, go find something else to do. I mean, mean that. That's, that this, there's no, you're not smart enough to do this fast. If you look at a guy who's a race car driver, the better he is, the faster he takes the curve because the more he knows what's going to happen, right? And I don't know about you, but time always exposes things, right? So uh, we're going to talk about selection. We're going to talk about qualification. It's a lousy word. I can't think of anything better, so forgive me for that, and let me, let me talk through that. And the last one is expectation. Expectation is critical, so we won't run out of time. I need to spend some time on expectation with you. So selection. My personal experience has been that 100% of success in almost anything has to do with selection. The wrong guy in the right place always gets the wrong outcome. How many people have heard the three faithful, available, and teachable? Has everybody heard that? Yes? No? No? Yes? Okay. So um, there there are three components of of selection that that I would look for. Um, Anybody know the name Mark Dever? Uh, Nine Marks? If you don't know, it's a trusted source, Capitol Hill Baptist Church great place. He says, the very beginning of discipleship is a, is a game of spiritual tennis. Okay? Does anybody know the key to winning at tennis here? Come on, wake up, guys. This is, this is 1130. It's almost time for dinner. Hey, what's, what's the key to winning? Be the last one to get the ball over the net. Okay? I know, I know it's corny, but it works. Is that Selection with someone oftentimes takes giving them something, right? I'm going to give you something today. You got books today, right? Some of you did if you sat in the right seats. Now, some of the guys came over here and figured the system out, and, and these books were put in randomly, but they decided to take things into their own hands. <laughs> so, um, it's not uncommon for Dever to give a guy a book. It's not uncommon to sit down with a guy and start, start asking him what, what are his expectations of the discipleship and, and understand his responses. It's not uncommon to sit down and go through a period of four to five to six months of just meeting on a regular basis to see if this guy's got the stamina to do what you're asking him to do. That's selection. Qualification. Um... I can personally tell you, as an, as an old guy, I can still remember that I went into a stage called the genius stage. Um, it happened around 21. Um, and this is not the old, well, my dad was so stupid, and then he became real. I became unbelievably brilliant. And I knew how little I knew. So I had to pose, right? I didn't want anyone to know how little I knew, right? So so I, I pretended to be somebody that I really wasn't. If you run into a guy who's posing, who's, who's a genius, I would encourage you just to kind of give him a kiss on the lips and, and leave him for another time. He will destroy you. He will eat you alive. You, he will try to convert you. Okay? So that's, 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 a Luke, that's a Luke 10 guy. That's the guy slamming the door in your face. That's God saying, this is not your guy. This is not the right time. If you've ever, ever, ever had the opportunity to actually encounter a discipling relationship where you're, the, where you're the older brother and you've been able to experience someone who's teachable, 
you will never go back. Ever go back. <sighs> Expectations. I'm told that unrealized expectations are generally uncommunicated expectations and are usually end up in disappointment. You know, you disappoint me a lot, John. Well, and, and, and I just don't tell John why he's disappointing me, right? Well, you've got a sheet in there that, that says expectations on it. Um, if you're in a relationship, if you're in a discipling relationship now and you haven't done something like this, a guy told me he went into a, a car store and he said, when's the best time to buy a 63 Pontiac GTO? He said, 1963. He said, when's the second best time? He said, today. If you don't have a set of expectations between you and the people that you're discipling, you need to stop the bus and you need to sit down and say, hey, look, let's have a conversation with where we're going here, right? If you're, if you're the guy who's discipling, the disciple or E has every right to assume you know where you're going and you know how to get there and you need to know where you're at. One of the things that you really need to do is you need to teach him that expectations, expectations are a critical element in, uh, in discipling. When we drove here, well, no, Hickory's not a bad, I, I have a hard time, I could get lost driving from Hickory trying to go from 80, 95 or 85 or wherever it is. <laughs> um, I bring him with me. <laughs> so, um, if you'll take a look at that, what I'm, looking, what I'm looking for, I'm looking for a tool that I can sit down with a guy and have him tell me what he's expecting from this because he's got expectations. I want to be able to sit down with him and I want to tell him what my expectations are. If you'll flip over the sheet that has claims, you'll see in this document is almost as old as Iams books. It's on an Excel sheet. It kind of talks about stages. I was reminded of that when I was watching the guy through the door get ready to take off the jet and fly it from Newark to... Uh, Milan, I mean, he had a book of expectations, right? And he had another guy in the cockpit that was reading them out. And the other guy in the cockpit was the pilot, and the co-pilot was answering back, yes, 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 not yet. So expectations are critical. They're critical because when Jason tells me that he thinks getting together every week's critical, and we haven't met for the last three weeks, and that's because Jason's got a busy schedule, I'm not going to go back to Jason with anything else other than his own expectations. And I'm going to say, Jason, you said this was important to you. What's changed? Right? One of the expectations that I would, I would strongly, I would commend to you, I would beg you to do, is that go make disciples presumes multiplication. Right? It presumes multiplication. So don't wait until you finish the book on discipleship to go, hey, Mitch, I forgot to tell you. You're supposed to be going out there and making disciples. What are you doing? Right? Um, years ago, my father-in-law, who was a, uh, a fighter pilot, no college education, two tours in Vietnam, 
man, when I would drive up to his house, we had inspection of the car. And he wanted to see the trunk, right? He sold me that car, right? And, uh, and he knew I wasn't any good for his daughter. Anyway, anyway we, so, so we go hunting. And he's got two dogs. He's got a lab named Satan, about a 135-pound black dog. Insane. Love, I mean, that dog would, if you got a duck down, Satan's not coming back without it. Okay? That was a problem. And the other one was a bird dog. So the colonel would love to go quail hunting. So we'd go walking around. And we're coming up on quail season, right? It's dark, you know, Thanksgiving Day, eat a big meal, go quail hunting. So he let the dogs go. Satan knew his job was to walk with us, right? And the bird dog knew that his, his job was to go find quail, or at least we thought that's what his job was. So he starts running figure eights, and we're going, ooh, ah, man, that is so cool. You know, he jumps up, looks at us. We're going, man, just like the TV, right? You know, Colonel Haney, he's going, oh, man, I love this dog. I love this dog. So somewhere about 45 minutes into the drill, we can't see the dog anymore, right? So the colonel is certain that the dog has found quail. We just haven't found the dog, right, which is a, a fallacy in the program. So two hours later, we come up on this on this ridge, and there's the dog. Now, the dog is in a trance. The dog's been on point for the last 45 minutes. He's leaning up against a sapling, and his face is glazed over. And the colonel goes, I told you! And the black dog, I mean, he, he knows something really good's going to happen because he's going to hear gunshots, and birds are going to go down. The bird was pointing up a herd of turtles. <laughs> You know, I, I guess the colonel never spent the time to tell the dog what, what, what a dove, I mean, what a, what a quail looked like. So the dog, I mean, as soon as he saw something on the move, he started pointing it. I will tell you, if you're discipling someone and you don't tell them what a turtle looks like, you're doing them a terrible disservice. If you don't tell them what the characteristics of someone um, that is, quote, a prospect for discipleship, you're going to frustrate them like crazy. You're going to do them a great disservice. You need to go, first off, you need as an expectation, is whatever we do, we're going to talk about approaching people. We're going to talk about being invited. Into, who has been to a, um, um, a conference on, on, on gospel conversations? Yes? Good? Was it good? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a very easy, and I, I hate to use the word method, um, where you can get into a conversation. Jason, Jason, is there anything in your life that's broken that needs fixing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the crazy thing about that whole process is, if I'm talking to an unbeliever, they're really broken, right? And they've got all kind of things that are wrong with their life that if they could only find some solution, I got guys that just think three more feet in their boat's going to solve every problem they've got. I mean, more money. Bigger job. I mean, more kids, less kids. Wish I had somebody worked at the house. Everybody's got a problem they want to have solved. Everybody has satisfaction that they're seeking. You and I are the only people in the world that have the key to that satisfaction. Is there everybody? Is there anybody here that doesn't doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Anybody? No. Okay. So I'm safe in saying this. Is there anybody here? that is, has got brokenness in their life that you're trying to deal with. Defined as, is anybody here 
confessed a sin to somebody in the last three days. Is there anybody here in the last three days has sinned? <laughs> Walter, I knew you couldn't hear that back there. <laughs> yeah, don't make me confess to you because then you're going to have to deal with it, right? Uh, I mean, it's, you've got to, I mean, I disciple men, so ladies, forgive me. This is more of a man. You've got to teach a guy how to hunt. You've got to teach a guy how to enter into a conversation with another man like Mitch, not with the expectation of getting another scalp, because I, I just want to love him. I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I'm doing my job. I mean, Jesus said, I've glorified you, Father, because I have accomplished the work that you've given me. The work is, I want to talk to Mitch. I want Mitch to tell me that he wants another three feet on his boat at Lake Lanier. And I want to tell him there's a lot more to life than three feet on a boat. Would you like to meet with me sometime? And if the guy says no, he's brain dead or he's got a hearing problem. <laughs> right? Right? Would you agree? I would agree. Okay. So, that's, that's discipleship for us. Discipleship is engaging who is it? Mark Dever says, the definition of discipleship is doing spiritual good either for another or for one another. It's investing, it's taking personal responsibility for the spiritual growth of another believer. It's taking spiritual responsibility, not responsibility. It's, it's, being, able to, it's being able to articulate the gospel. When was the last time someone here made a gospel presentation to anybody? In the last week. Be, be, be honest, because you're going to have to go to lunch and God's going to get you. Okay. Um, years ago, we had a group of about seven guys in a small group, and we would do um, confession. We called it mutual ministry. And we did it guys on guys, gals on gals. So I'm sitting, I know these guys. I do, quote, ministry with these guys, right? Um, I've confessed my sins to these guys. So we stop for a minute. Does everybody have a personal testimony that they can give somebody on the spot? Yes? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was very bad, right? Very bad. And then something happened in my life, and now I'm not so bad, right? Everybody's, everybody's got a story. Even an unredeemed person has got a story like that, right? Because life was bad. I got caught. Right? I'm sorry. I'm not sorry I want to repent. I'm just sorry I got caught. Yeah. Then something changed and my life's been better. So we sat there. Everybody had a story. The next thing we did was we gave out blank sheets of paper and said, okay, you've got 10 minutes to sit down with each one of us and go through a gospel presentation. None of us could make it through. Zero. Without getting frustrated and going back to our testimony. Um, what is this, a Monopoly game where it says, don't go past this if you don't do something. Don't. Not that's right. Do not go any further in a relationship with another person until you get up on the cross and you tell them your testimony and you tell them the truth. You don't soft, you don't peddle it. You tell them exactly what kind of person you are and what God did and how your life is. And if you haven't changed but you love Jesus Christ, tell him that. And then you sit down with him and you give him a gospel presentation. And then you sit down there with him and you coach him and teach him and love him 
until he can do that. Because if you can't speak the gospel, you can't listen for the gospel. And if you can't listen for the gospel, you don't have no right to speak into anybody's life, believer or not believer. Right? And I'm telling you, the discipleship is, where is it? Where is it? Who's been to Disney World here? Oh, you brave souls. <laughs> um, I have two granddaughters. I have, I, have ten grand, I have ten grandchildren. God has blessed me with two very young grandchildren that I love. They're little girls, and they, 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 they own me, right? They come over, and we have ice cream for breakfast every time they're there. <laughs> and I tell them to go home and tell their parents that, right? So um, we, we're looking. We want, we want to go to Disney World, but I, I, want to, I want to find a way to cut my losses, Right, so I found out you can go on a cruise, a Disney cruise. Now, Frozen, anybody remember when? I mean, I mean, we could. That's all we did was just sing Frozen songs and wear little tutus and dance like little girls. Right. So, we go. All I hear for I, there's a lady that's been working on me about going to Disney cruises. She said Disney does it better than anybody. So we're there for four days. She's right. I mean, I'm walking around this ship trying to find some mess up. I'm trying to find somebody that will tell me they're not going to help me. I've got to find somebody that won't ask me, can they help me? So we're driving home, and I'm looking at my wife, and we're talking about how phenomenal this is. I mean, in, for that, that kind of consistency. I never saw a character out of character. Ever. Ever. My granddaughter looked at me, and she said, Granddaddy, it's all about the mouse. I'm going, yeah, it is. If you don't get anything from my, my talk, I want you to get this. It's all about the, G, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be fancy. You don't have to be articulate. In fact, the scripture says that I didn't come to you with articulate words, right? Because I didn't want to in any way devalue the cross. The word of the Bible is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus Christ leaves us with the expectation that we're going to go make disciples. The first one, which is the one, is baptism. I mean, that's an evidence. Does anybody? Baptism is an outward evidence of an inward truth done publicly. You know, back in those days, you didn't need to have a seminar on baptism because when you got up and you said, I'm a Christian, everything in your life changed dramatically. I mean, mama and daddy said, goodbye, I hate you, don't ever talk to us. Everything that you ever had as security is gone. They... So when they said go baptize, he knew exactly, that's salvation. And then when he says go and teach them all the things that I've commanded you, that's discipleship. Uh, I've got 10 minutes if you want, if you've got any questions. I'd love I think most of them, actually, I'm just going to sound dumb, but I'm just going to ask you because I've asked people this. What is a disciple? A learner. But it doesn't matter. Okay. I mean, every we're all disciples. Okay. Well, now see that—that's the problem. Most people, I, my intention is, if you're a learner, has to learn from a teacher, right? And then you reproduce what you've learned. Am I correct? Yes. Well, but see, that's the problem. We don't teach people to reproduce. Now, we, I tell my people, I'm not going to teach you how to witness because everybody knows how to witness. They, when they say they don't, I say, tell me about your football team. Most of my people need to get delivered. They Dallas Cowboys fans. Yeah. <laughs> anyhow, they can tell me everything about Dash, you know, Dak Prescott and everything, and about the running back. I say, listen, did I have to teach you how to do that? They said, no. I say, so you can witness. 
anything that's important to you, you, you can witness, and that's the thing. So I think we we we're so busy getting. I'm putting it like this. Here, let me let me answer your question. How many of you are pastors here? How many of you have been asked what kind of numbers you're running today? How are things going? When's the first? When's it, anybody? Is, 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 it's not, I mean, it's not, that's a question. How we do, I measure how I'm doing by the numbers, right? So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, just send the people here that need to hear this. And I'm going, but oh, send the people here if they don't need to hear this. You know, <laughs> oh, just send the people, right? Well, see, that's the problem. We, we're so busy making members rather than disciples. Okay. Has anybody heard the, has anybody heard the difference between the crowd and the, uh, yeah, the core? Who said that? Okay, do you, I mean, do you disciple to the crowd or to the core? I'm telling you that all of us start at the crowd. When you take a look at anybody who's taken the time to put together some type of discipleship plan that can be written down and followed, it's always, let's get a huge event. The pool. Where do you fish from? Right, so you've got to have numbers to do that. And the, and the number keeps getting down less and less and less till you get down to the guys who are being discipled. Jesus never did that. Jesus always preached to the crowd, but he, but he lived with the core. And it's the core. Remember when Jesus gets up there and tells them, you've got to eat my body and drink my blood? You know, the disciples are thinking, man, we're getting ready to do an IPO. That's a bad thing to say. You know, we're going public with this thing. And then what does it say? Teaching's hard. Everybody left. And then what does Jesus do? Everybody remember? Actually, will you leave all? Oh, what a move! Are you leaving too? Because he knows where he's going. He's on the plan, right? So I would, I would, and and I think it's just a natural tendency for us to do. If you preach to the core, I'm an old football player. I don't know how to do math, but what they tell me is, if you'll give me three guys and you teach them how to multiply, we'll take the world over in short time. If you teach to the crowd, your back door and your front door are swinging about the same way. Right? I mean, it's just true. And it's, but it's hard to look that in the face and say, how many here are, uh, how's this, how to say this? Uh, you're the only pastor at church, in your church. Okay. I mean, do you have a lot of time? No. No. So, I mean, you're dealing with what's in front of you. When was the last time you said, look, I've got to turn my back on some of this stuff. I've got to go find three godly guys who are like-minded, and I'm going to pour myself into these guys. You don't have time because the phone, the phone's ringing, and there's a problem. I mean, I, I've, I figured my pastor's deal up. I just schedule three months in advance, and he's got to say yes because I know he's not scheduled that tight, right? But if I call him up on a Wednesday, I got no. I mean, unless it's unless it's I'm dying, right? And then I would expect him to send a train guy over there. <laughs> so. Is, is you've got to do that. You have got, you've got to force yourself to do that. It's not, it's not the breath. It's the width. And you see what Jesus Christ did with three guys. Right? No internet. Right? Not, I mean, it's a, long, it's, a, it's a long movie. Speed's not your friend. And, and, and to do that not only invites, it's the promise of God. Just remember, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men.